podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And welcome to a special for Anfield Index, an Alexis McAllister special. We are massively excited to be talking about this this evening, folks. We really are. So probably recognise my voice. I'm Dave Davis. I'm one of your regular hosts for Media Matters, Transfer Shows, etc., And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Argentinian and South American football expert, Tom Robinson. Tom, how are we? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Looking forward to discussing this uh, yeah, big, big transfer and a very exciting one from, from Liverpool's point of view, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. It is there. There's no two ways about it. We start the summer with a bang and we've got to ask you a million questions. We'll talk, ladies <laughs> and gents, about the player, the fee, the characteristics, his heroics with Argentina and naturally where we think he'll fit in with ourselves at the Reds. So, Tom, let's go straight into it. I mean, Top of the queue, we've really got to talk about the, the transfer because the announcement came at 11 o'clock today. Interested with the rumoured fee because there's there's different rumours, if that's the right fee, or different mm. disclosures, however you want to put it. So some reports have it as 35, some 45, even higher, depending on add-ons. Quite a few reports had it that he's turned down Chelsea, which almost makes him more attractive to me personally. Maybe <laughs> that's just me, I don't know. But obviously that's one way to enamour yourself to Liverpool fans. And there's also talk that his dad's been the sort of real driving force behind this. And he himself almost has been charmed, if that's the right phrase, by Jurgen Klopp there. I mean, I know I've given you quite a, a few points to almost break down or go through there, but what can you tell us about those things? Yeah, I mean, well, let's start off with the transfer fee. I mean, I, as you've rightly said there, there's been varying reports. Brighton are a savvy club. They're clever operators. Um, their general policy tends to not be to disclose these figures, um, which I suppose helps them protect from other clubs highballing them, knowing that they've got a lot of money in their pockets and yeah. probably softens the blow of some of those big clubs, um, you know, with that air of mystery around how much they've, they've forked out for the player. So, I mean, I, th- I think it, it's, it sort of scans that it would be in that sort of, once you take in add-ons and things like that in that kind of 40 to 50 million pounds bracket, um, whether it's 35 up front and then some extras, I, I would, I'd be surprised if it was just 35 and, and that, um, was, was it? I mean, if you just look at their previous departures, Cucurella 60 odd, Ben White 50 yeah. odd and higher than the likes of Basuma and Trossard. So he kind of fits in that kind of, yeah, 35 to 50 bracket I would say and you know they've made a big profit on him they only forked out eight million initially and wow got the deal done without any fuss early on in the transfer window you know beneficial for both clubs really and pretty much covers the cost of Joao Pedro coming in as well so 
Um, yeah, certainly, certainly the reports there of the fee seem to be um, right. I mean, I'm sure we'll probably never know the exact figures, um, yeah. but yeah, I think that 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 sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And fingers crossed. Obviously, we we don't know, but it always adds a, le- a little bit of happiness when we hear that Chelsea tried at the, <laughs> the last minute as well. So that's a that's a good point to hear. Probably did did want to pick your brains on what what's soon about the transfer side because. The other part that, that's really being discussed is the fact here his dad was almost leading the negotiations there, not an agent, but specifically his father. And also that he's been really, as I said, charmed, if that's the right phrase, by Jurgen Klopp. Anything you've heard around that at all? Yeah, I mean, in terms of just to give you a bit of background on his dad and his family in general, I mean, a lot of your listeners will, will know that he's the son of Carlos McAllister, who's an ex-Argentina international, ex-Boca Juniors player, good friends with Diego Maradona. Um, and he's also got two brothers who play professional football in the Argentinian Primera. So he comes from a sporting family. His dad yeah. is a guy who's been there. He knows it. But not only the fact that his dad had a good career um, in Argentina, he's also someone who's played quite a important role in Argentinian society. He was the secretary of sports from 2015 to 2018. So this isn't just, you know, someone who's been in, been in the industry and knows it from that. This is a guy who's, you know, he's a smart guy. He's a well-connected guy. You know, they've had a decent upbringing. um, And then they're very, a very good family unit. You know, you saw them all at the world cup together um, supporting Alexis and um, yeah, generally speaking, he he's not your typical Argentinian who's maybe come from the Vichas and the slums. He's he's had a pretty stable and good support network around him. So I think that you know plays into um, why he's got someone smart advising him and yeah. someone who's got his best interests at heart as well. I think those two are you know key factors, and I'm sure that played a, um, a part in why they chose Liverpool. I mean, certainly someone as charismatic as Klopp and the size of Liverpool, the history, how good they've been in, in recent seasons as well are enough of a, a motivation to, to join the club. And also I think the fact that they were ready to do business, um, yeah. certainly reading what Andy Naylor, very good source uh, when it comes to Brighton, um, has said, it seems like Alexis didn't really want to wait around to decide his future. No other clubs were, were properly ready in the same way that Liverpool were. So I think their preparation just to get get in and get the job done quickly has has massively helped, as well as the fact that you know, as com- as compared to a Chelsea or a Man United or whatever, you know, they are clubs with a lot of uncertainty around them, a lot of rebuild yeah. re- rebuilding needed. Whereas, okay, yeah, Liverpool's midfield needs needs some um, work done on it, but you don't think it's need a whole scale revolution. It's more of a case of evolution. It, so that's where I see it anyway. So I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure that's all played into McAllister's decision. Yeah, absolutely, would make complete sense as well. And it is an interesting one, like you say, with with his background, because when you almost scan his career, so to speak, it has been an interesting one. Almost, like you said, a couple of clubs in Argentina, then across, then almost back on loan to Argentina, Brighton, Liverpool. So it looks quite interesting on the surface. I mean, what should Liverpool fans really know about his? early career up to now anything sort of distinct at all yeah there's there's some definitely some interesting factors when it comes to his career and another thing as as well um as his family background and something that his his family actually credit massively as well as his um development at Argentinos Juniors um so for maybe 
listeners who aren't quite as familiar with that club, they're actually one of the sort of best clubs in Argentina at producing young players. They're nicknamed as the Semigero, which is like the nursery or the seedbed of Argentinian football. Maradona yeah. started there. Redondo started there. Raquel May started wow. there. Juan Pablo Sorin, Esteban Cambiaso. There's a whole list as long as you're on of really good players. And they're, they're based in Buenos Aires, but they're not one of the big five teams. So there's less pressure, really good place to grow. And his dad, um, really good article with, with Sid Lowe that I'd recommend people reading as, as credited, um, Argentinos with his, you know, formation as a, as a, a person and a young footballer. So yeah, that's always a really good grounding. If you see your players come through Argentinos juniors, that's, that's usually a, a good, um, mark on, against their name as, as, as something to, yeah, be beneficial. And, you know, he's, he's been a player that we've, you know, us who, who follow Argentinian football and, and scout it. He's a, he's been a player that's been on the radar for quite a while. His debut was back in 20, uh, 2016, um, when they were in the second division. And initially he was kind of touted more as a attacking midfielder forward. Um, and I think, I think that's why. Perhaps he didn't necessarily get the hype because he wasn't at the biggest clubs. And he, you know, if you look at his numbers, he wasn't scoring loads of goals for someone who's seen as an attacking player. But when they got promoted back into the Primera División, um, he played with a lot of energy. His, you could tell his late arrivals into the box, the, that shot from range, which has obviously become a, um, a hallmark of his, his, yeah. his career at Brighton as well. Um, but again, the, maybe the goals didn't come. So it was definitely a surprise to us um, when he signed straight to Brighton. Um, and I think as well, it kind of hinted at what was to come in their recruitment policy in terms of taking people directly from South America. Um, but, you know, at that point, Brighton were still, you know, fighting against relegation most seasons yeah. in, in the Premier League. They weren't quite as established. Um, and, you know, something that we do on Golazo Argentino is, Every year we do the top 50 Argentine talents under 23. So start of 2019, when he moved to Brighton, he was only about 28th on our list. So he was, you know, rated, but he wasn't the guy who we were most excited about. Certainly not yeah. someone who we thought would be a, a key player for the <laughs> for the national team going forward. But, um, and I think also, as you said, the loans back to Argentina, which I believe were more to do with work permits um, than, than anything else. Um, definitely initially sort of made us think, okay, guy gone to Europe, coming back on loan, is he going to get a chance at Brighton? But certainly his spell at Boca, um, I think made people sit up and take notice. He was kind of more playing on the left wing of a, a kind of a front three or, you know, just behind um, the striker, um, very good at cutting off the left onto his right foot. And he played a big part in their Copa Libertadores run to the semifinals and and got a call up to the national team for a friendly and impressed and then did well for the under 23 squad as well. Um, as well. So by that point, I think we were starting to realise that, yeah, this was a player who, you know, who could have a good career, but, you know, it's it's only been in the last... 12 to 18 months where he's he's really, really kicked on to the next level. Yeah. And to be fair, because I've, I've got to ask you, because it's some kick on and a half, isn't it, really? As you said, sort of the under-23s, even though saw today that he, he played in the Olympics, so I wasn't even aware of that. But the natural focus is going to be that his role in the World Cup winning squad, isn't it, realistically, in Qatar? That It's strange almost when you look at it. He, he didn't even actually start the opening game against Saudi. I mean... He is part of that that successful side. There's no two ways about it. 
How how do Argentinians view him as a player now after that success? Is he is he almost lauded? Maybe not in the same level as Messi, but as one of their heroes, so to speak. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because there was like a three year absent uh, absent between his appearances for the national team. So he got that debut in 2019, and it was only you know not long before the World Cup in in a few of the qualifiers that he got a chance to come in. Um, but you know, as you said, he had a starring role at the World Cup. You know, mm. his tireless work, knitting the midfield together, great off the ball pressing as well. Got that really important goal against Poland and was um, instrumental in that that second goal in the final in that beautiful yeah. counter attack um, and got a penalty in the final as well. So you know, I think but going into the tournament he wasn't a huge name. I think most people were sort of clamouring more for Enzo Fernandez to to come into yeah. the squad in a even in a more attacking role than than we eventually saw him because he was on just the form of his life for River Plate and you know. Being being a regular for River or Boca always gives you the the sort of the the public backing um, yeah. in Argentina. So it was only because Gio Celso got injured that Scaloni had to rethink the entire midfield. Um, and I think you know he was always he, I think before the tournament he was seen as a guy who was multifunctional. So he, he was probably going to get a fair bit of game time. Um, and then obviously that injury popped up and, and meant that okay. McCullis is now one of the favourites to take that kind of advanced midfield role ahead of the Paul and um, uh, Paredes or, or Enzo Fernandez. So um, by the end of it, you know his his profile has gone through the roof. The fact that he played for Boca definitely helped his profile as well um, in Argentina, yeah. um, and he's now considered a key player going forward. I, I wouldn't say he's quite on, you know, the Messi or even Emiliano Martinez. That he's kind of got a cult following in yeah. Argentina. Uh, uh, I think he's he's now seen as, you know, one of the, the stars of the national team, but maybe not someone who's universally loved like um, Di Maria, Messi, um, Emi Martinez, a few of the other maybe more um, outgoing characters yeah. in, in, in the squad there. Which, which is interesting because it, it was something I wanted to ask you about, especially his character because... And it's probably the way you phrased it made me think as well, because very much he's got star quality, but personality-wise, it doesn't sort of strike me that he um, wants to stand out, if that's the right phrase, or be the star. That I mean, from the interviews we've seen even today, his English is exceptional. He seems a very humble, down-to-earth guy. And we even saw interviews recently, like Adam Milana giving him incredible references, you know, on public record. Is, is that what we know about him from his character? Would you say that is a fair assessment, a humble, down-to-earth, normal guy, so to speak? Yeah, definitely. I think that that fits in with, um, yeah, with how he's, how he's viewed. And, I mean, he just seems to be both on and off the field, very composed. He's not someone who's, yeah, looking for the limelight. Um, he's someone who can handle those stressful situations. He's, you know, he's a big game player. He's yeah. shown that he's good on penalties. I think six of his 10 goals this, this season came from the penalty spot. And yeah. it kind of, it just, you know, tracks between what's he's like off the field, you know, fairly low maintenance. Um, yeah, just, uh, got, goes back as well to that family backgrounding that he's got as well. He's, he's someone who, the way he plays on the pitch is is kind of how he is off. You know, he's willing to sacrifice himself for the team and, and do the hard yards and, you know, sometimes do the the selfless running. So I think that that bodes well. The fact that he's also acclimatised to the Premier League, as you said, 
good level of English as well. Um, all those are, are massive kind of ticks next to his name in terms of the right type of character that you want in the dressing room and someone who can handle themselves in, in the Premier League because, you know, we've seen he's, in terms of off and on the ball, he <clears throat> ranks right up there. I, I think, um, you know, made more counter presses than any other mid uh, Liverpool yeah. midfielder last season. Um, you know, a lot of through balls, a lot of recoveries, kind of, you know, that is, as, as we've kind of alluded to in this discussion, he's, he's very multifunctional. He can play in a number of positions and, and that's, you know, that, that's right up there as one of his best qualities along with his work rate, intensity, his movement. His, I mean, as much as being a you know a fairly humble and and quiet guy, like many Argentinians, he, he can handle himself. <laughs> he's yeah, got, yeah, he's got a bit of that dog in him. So um, yeah, he's he, he's very good. And then obviously there's there's that um, the fact that he's really taken the goal scoring to 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 a next level. I'm, I'm interested to see if that's something that maintains because, as I said, a lot of those were penalties and. <clears throat> Across his career, he's usually been the, the type of guy who chips in with maybe three to five goals a season. So perhaps Liverpool fans shouldn't necessarily expect him to be getting double figures every season. But yeah. certainly he's, he's shown that he's got that in the locker. Yeah, it, it will be an interesting one. You could probably guess there's been a lot of, sort of talk on our forums Tom, around that because naturally... Maybe wrong. This is all sort of prediction, but will he take penalties off the likes of Salah? Maybe hard to see. He'll also have the mm. likes of Trent Alexander Arnold on set pieces, you know. But it's great to have a, another player with this technical ability or who is able to do it in the, as you said, the high pressure situations. And it is what I wanted to ask you about because it's a word I've seen a couple of times come up with Alexis. And it, maybe, maybe it's the wrong to focus on it, but I do want to ask the multifunctional aspects because. We've seen him play so many roles for Argentina and Brighton. We've seen him almost a, a double six with Caicedo, if you were. We've seen him play on the left side of an eight at times when Brighton varied the formation. And they've even on occasions, especially in the second half of the season, really almost pushed him up into a, a 10 role, if that makes sense at times, or traditional style. I mean... It's a short question, but it might be a long answer. <laughs> what would you actually see as his best position realistically? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one of those things that can be a blessing and a curse, really, in terms of, you know, that versatility can can be great for a coach, but if you can't define a role for yourself, it can it can sometimes um, mean you're the, the odd man out. But I think if if you're looking at his, I mean, it's great that he can do everything, but I think if you're looking at his very best position, for me, it's kind of uh, a left sided eight because certainly he played that deeper line. Um, position for Brighton and he did it very well better than I think anyone expected but that was yeah. very much more under Potter whereas De Zerbe's moved him higher and, and up you know, more to the left as well and you've seen that he's now making okay maybe not quite as many recoveries but he's way more involved in the the attacking play and and I think that's probably his favoured position as well I don't think he really enjoyed the fact that initially he had to to play that deeper line uh, midfield role but the, again I think it speaks to his character that he just got his head down and and did it but yeah I, I certainly think that you know in the kind of three two five in possession formation that a lot of the top clubs are playing um at the moment then you know he's he's that guy who can step out from one of the kind of 
number eights um, in a 4-3-3 into that kind of left-sided half space to, um, you know, to use the attacking abilities that he's got that that late arrival into the box just to kind of um, support the, you know, traditional front three that we'll be playing with. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably where he'll end up. But I think it's going to be not necessarily all about what his qualities are because yeah. I don't think Liverpool are necessarily going to build the midfield around him. I think it'll be depend on who else is in that midfield and then he'll probably fit in accordingly. So, you know, if there is a more specialist defensive midfielder like Fabinho or, or a replacement, then, you know, he'll, he'll probably be pushed further forward. He could be the attacking of a midfield three. He could be a shuttler. He, you know, he could play in a double pivot, you know. So I, I think it'll probably... He's going to usually operate that position, but it's going to depend on who's available, who comes in, games, yeah. all, all these other, um, you know, uh, intangibles that, that we don't know at this moment. But yeah, certainly, certainly that would be my expectation, at least anyway. Brill. And it's, it's not wanting to end on a, a negative note at all with McAllister, I suppose, but, and the, there is that bit of a step up, different pressure from, Brighton, so to speak, who, who've been um, you know unbelievable this season. You know, let's not mince our words at all. They've played some brilliant football at times as well. But it's almost going into that higher pressure environment at a, a bigger club, so to speak. You know, where there's more eyes, there's more focus. There's almost more expectation, isn't there? Almost expected to win every week. And any sort of worries or slight niggles you think at all he'll be able to to handle that or you think you're based on his character he's just going to be a sort of duck to water and just go straight in there so to speak yeah I mean there's there's always going to be a slight adaptation period um but everything that we've seen so far um from his time at Brighton I mean yeah it took him a little bit of time to settle in but he's now been in the Premier League been in the country um speaks the language better um so you'd think that that side of the adaptation should be a lot easier. Um, and we've seen that, to be honest, you know, in terms of pressure representing Argentina with, you know, everyone so yeah. passionate supporting and also knowing it's Messi's last chance and, and you've got to try and deliver it for him, then I think there's that, that certainly says to me, at least anyway, that he, he can be, um, yeah, he, he can deal with that. And I think also it's important that, you know, since he's come back from the World Cup, he's not let his levels drop like we've seen with with some other players. Um, yeah, and from well, from from numerous tournaments. But um, you know, I I think he should. He's the type of character who, who should just slot in, and because he's not got a hundred million fee around his neck, or um, he's not being dubbed, you know, the Messiah to come in and fix all the problems yeah. um, that, that are there. I th- I think that expectations are usually the the thing that's most important as I think as long as Liverpool fans aren't expecting him to, you know, come in and score 15 goals a season and, and yeah. be like the creative hub. He's not going to be a, you know, a Steven Gerrard f- figure for Liverpool, but there's nothing wrong with that. If he's, I think if anything, if, if he can kind of belatedly replace um, Wijnaldum, then, then most Liverpool fans will probably be happy with that. I imagine. Yeah, more than happy, absolutely. It was it was interesting you check or name check Stevie there because he even mentioned him in the in his interview when he's first arrived talking about the numbers. So talked about the eight reference Stephen Gerrard. Now that's a historic number. And 
it may be reading too much into this possibly and could be doing, but he's picked the number 10, which is obviously a historic shirt at Anfield and is, well, isn't it? it's an iconic shirt, isn't it, in Argentina? There's no two ways about it. Reading too much into that or are we thinking like the number 10 has those sort of hallmarks, that's why he's picked it, his history with Argentina or anything like that at all? Well, I mean, certainly it's attractive for, for any player and probably hints at more of a an attacking role as well than than a deeper lying role. So um, I'm sure if, if it was available and, and offered to him, he's he, he's not going to turn it down. And and certainly, yeah, we can we can probably deduce that it's it's going to be more in the final third that he's going to be expected to contribute. But again, I, th- I think that ties in. You know, he, he's not a a Maradona or, or, or Messi style number ten. He's he, yeah. he's a very much a, a modern more in the European mould um, kind of midfield. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, he, he, he sh- it's everything points to it being a really, you know, sensible signing in terms of ticking the boxes of, of what Liverpool need. A guy who's, you know, just reaching his prime, getting getting him for a, you know, a pretty reasonable fee in, in the yeah. current market. And, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's one that that even if it isn't, you know, fireworks and, you know, getting people off their seat every, every week. I, I, you know, I, I think that he, he, sh- he should be a really good kind of extra cog in the midfield rather than being the final piece of the jigsaw. Brill. All, all music to our ears and all fingers <laughs> crossed to all those types of descriptions as well. And the final question, because we always like to, to ask when we get sort of experts or people who specialise in, you know, outside of, of Liverpool. As a sort of South American football expert, I mean, we, we love talking transfers here at Anfield Index. <laughs> Is there anyone you think we should be keeping an eye on sort of the, listen, South America's produced the, the incredible, probably the world's best sort of talent factory, so to speak. Is there anyone we should really be keeping an eye on, do you think, here from South America, set to hit Europe or, and I know I'm throwing names at you, so Tom, but the next Neymar, the next Messi, anyone like that who you think's really got it in them to be the world's next superstar from that area? Yeah, so there's certainly, I mean, yeah, you're spoiled for choice really in terms of the, the amount of young players coming through. I'll, I'll mention a few players. I mean, one player who um, actually is coming up through the same club that Alexis started at is um, Federico Redondo, the son of Fernando, who's um, yeah. exactly in the same mould as his old man and wow. is, is looking like um, a really classy operator, just been playing the under-20s with Argentina and, and has had a breakthrough year. So he, he's someone to keep an eye on. He's maybe not got that star quality of, of, of uh, you know, the next Neymar or Messi, but um, I would say out Brazil, Vitor Roque um, is an absolute phenomenon. Um, he's someone who I think could come in at a, a really big club and make an, an immediate impact despite still being a teenager. Um, he's just, you know, he's got that bullish centre forward quality um, and just extra bit of class. So he he's probably the best one to, to sort of keep an eye on from Brazil. And then yeah. if we're looking a bit younger, a bit further down the line that maybe won't get the, the moves just yet, there's a couple of very mercurial Argentinian diminutive playmakers that, that I'll, I'll, um, that people can bookmark and, and come back to me in a two or three years time of, uh, Gianluca Prestiani, um, a, a sort of really good, uh, attacking midfielder from Velez who's, who's just getting his, 
um, first season under his belt and a guy who's not even made his first team debut yet um, at River Plate called um, Claudio Echeverri, um nicknamed the Little Devil, um, who's wow. he's done very well for the under-17s in Argentina and is is kind of right up there as the the kind of guys that they think could be a, a sort of generational talent in um in in the future so yeah th- th- there's four names for you and um you know i've got a you know a spreadsheet of a thousands others if anyone's interested <laughs> I can well imagine, yeah, such a later. It's almost like a hotbed of football, isn't it? The skill, the flair. So always good to ask. And importantly, ladies and gents, it was great to have Tom on. So first thing I want to say is, Tom, thank you very much for your expertise and answering questions. It is much appreciated, sir. My pleasure. It was, um, yeah, it was lovely to come on and, and discuss Alexis and, um, yeah, any uh, future South American uh, transfer chat or anything, then, uh, yeah, feel free to give me a shout. Brill. We will definitely hold you to that. No two ways about it. And ladies and gents, that is another Transfer Special 4 Anfield Index. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.